Uh, so on the side of companies, if you have a good project, it's always a good time to raise capital, mm. right? You just need to ensure that the capital you raise is appropriate. So in other words, if you have a view that um, based on your own internal sense, the advice that you've gleaned from those on whom you rely as a business person, if you think that the interest rate environment will be transitory, if you believe that we'll have higher rates for a while and then things will moderate, um, which is a viewpoint that is held, right? mm -hmm. then don't fund the business with fixed rate 15-year debt. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't make sense for you to lock in at this quote-unquote mm -hmm. high interest rate because mm -hmm. you think rates are going to go down for 15 years. This doesn't make sense. Hold on. You say something now, I'll get it. I want to go back to if you have a good business and a good project, it's always a good time to raise capital. For sure. Right. For sure. That's right? the, it, 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 make, it makes sense. Yeah, right. Let's tag that. We're going to tag that. <laughs> this is a Barita podcast, which is a medium for information purposes only. This podcast is not a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. This isn't a research report, nor intended to serve as a basis for making any investment decisions. Contact a licensed investment advisor before making any financial decisions. Let's get into the Barita podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Barita podcast. You can see prior episodes at barita.com slash podcast. All right, so we have Roman Small Ferguson with us today. Roman. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, man. I'm all right. So I think it's the first time we have you on camera as EVP, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to well late, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Ral. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we want to touch on a couple of things today, mm -hmm. right? But, I mean, we can start there in terms of the role as executive vice president. How are you seeing the firm? What are you focused on? Mm -hmm. um you know etc etc set the frame at a high level for us yeah no problem so i mean in in my role role well new role i have oversight for the executives that oversee i guess the key revenue generating areas of the business and we are an investment bank so we're cut across a couple of different areas right so the sales and trading and treasury function, um, that function reports into me. The investment banking and corporate finance function also reports into me. So capital raising for customers, uh, that sort of thing. The asset management division that I used to have explicit oversight mm -hmm. for, now the executive in charge of the asset management division reports into me. And that's really dealing with management of client funds and pursuing alpha in that respect. The alternative investments division, which spans real estate, private credit, private equity, also reports into me. And importantly, the glue that holds everything together, the investment strategy mm -hmm. and research division also falls under my oversight. So my job, how I see it is, is really clearing roadblocks to allow all those guys um, very able to perform their function, um, advising and kind of looking at the entire business holistically uh, to include the interest of our clients mm -hmm. and kind of position Barita to perform as best as possible, both in its capacity uh, as a fiduciary and in fulfilling the goals of our clients 
and in dealing with our own affairs, which really center around revenue generation and creating shareholder value. So that's really it in terms of the scope of the role. Okay. So, I mean, in summary, you are responsible for everything. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It feels like that on some days, but no, I mean, I am, I am a, a cog in the wheel. Yeah. I'm yeah, trying yeah, to right. function. Yeah. All right. Well, no, but it's good. So, I mean, in terms of revenue generation, um, mm-hmm. Uh, front facing the kind of tip of the spear stuff. Yeah. That's that's what we're looking at. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that that gets pretty interesting, and it's an interesting time Trust for you me, to take that is. really. <laughs> it is a very interesting time, very unprecedented. Mm. Um, I've been in the business for a while, mm-hmm. um, and I tell people that you know, I've been through a few successive crises, I guess mm-hmm. you can call it, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone is different um, and we're now in the midst of one that feels very different than the other quote-unquote shocks that we've seen before. Uh, it seems like a, a more prolonged shock. Right? Yeah. So maybe not as extreme as some of the ones that we have seen in the recent past, but it certainly feels like it's it's going to go on a bit longer than those for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're on how you feel because uh, we, we, coming out at a time where interest rates were rock bottom, Jamaica yeah. is at 0.5%, money easy, you know, people can raise capital, the environment was friendly to that, and then mm-hmm. the man them gave the role and a 13 times oh, intre- increase in the interest rates, <laughs> a pandemic yeah. uh, residue, and boom, a war. Yeah, I mean, I tell you, it feels like a setup, right? <laughs> no, but it isn't. I mean, I, I tell um, those that I have had the privilege of leading. I, I mean, from, from the very beginning, I've told them that, listen, these turbulent times is when you really show your worth yes. um, in the marketplace, right? This is really why uh, we, we get paid and, you know, by, by our customers to really guide them through these difficult times. And this is when the expertise comes out. Um, so, very interesting time to take over, but um, not daunted at all. And it had to happen, right? Rates were low for some time. Mm. Uh, and really, central banks around the world were almost um, reading from the same hymn sheet mm-hmm. uh, for a very long time. It created a whole bunch of liquidity all over the world. Um, and, you know, very low interest rates were the order of the day. Now we're in a time where rates are going up. Um, liquidity is tighter, to say the least, uh, say the least right? And, and uh, liquidity is tighter. Uh, so we really just have to manage, um, really read the tea leaves as best as we can and, and try and create crystal balls uh, <laughs> or, or brush them off in some respect and, and try and see our way through this through this um, time. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, like you said, it had to happen. But boy, is like the money might try and make up for all of the past <laughs> sins in yeah. like a quarter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's interesting, right? If you think about the dilemma that the Fed has been going through mm-hmm. under uh, um, different leaders, mm-hmm. uh, the 08 crisis led to really a raft of unprecedented measures by the Fed and other central banks followed, right? I mean, quantitative easing in and of itself was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to study that uh, maybe for decades mm-hmm. uh, if economics is is relevant <laughs> um, decades from now. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. So uh, it led them down a path that saw the central bank continuing to layer on support uh, for the economy and by extension, I guess financial markets would have benefited, right? There's a strong correlation there. So if you recall in 2014, I think, um, the Fed tried to achieve a little bit of lift off. Yeah. Um, if I remember, at least that was the sentiment. They at signaled the time. it. They did. Yeah. And um, it was not tantrum. well accepted. Exactly. <laughs> so we saw the tape of tantrum and then they actually 
lifted up a bit i think in late 2015 and that was it uh you know one issue after the other led to easy money easy policy um covid came and we saw them bring out the unprecedented toolkit once again and fiscal policy was in lockstep um, in really trying to support the fallout, uh, support the economy rather, to be resilient uh, in the face of the fallout of the pandemic. And now they're at a stage where they really seemingly needed to get some lift off, you know, and they have the perfect excuse of a whole lot of inflation. Yeah. So it's really putting them in a position where they have monetary policy capacity to fight the next um, quote-unquote war on the economy, mm. although we do have a literal Actual war right, <laughs> going yeah. on. Yeah. So it's, it's understandable why we are where we are, albeit it has been painful in some quarters for sure. Yeah, I mean, so just to frame up the context, you know, we, we hear interest rates referred to as kind of like gravity mm-hmm. for capital markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, uh, others refer to it as like a hurdle rate, right? So yes. just for viewers, we, we were at 0.5%, a record low for some time in Jamaica. Yes. For instance, and now we're at 6.5. Yes. Right? So that's 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 13 times higher. So, you know, if, 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 we, if we think about financial markets as, yes. as as a race you know with a with a hurdle it is it's at 0.5 but no it's you know you're you're at one foot at 13 feet now you know yes. scaling that so so that's the context mm-hmm. and we spoke about it last night at the event a little bit um it was it it is a challenging context right so yes. what what participants are interested to find out for and, and hear from you and hear from us is in terms of raising capital which mm-hmm. you know is one of the things we're in the business are doing from a public market point of view and from a private market point of view how do you see the environment and what are the nuances to achieving that so that's a good question so i mean for, for the better part of the recent past right if we were to look back maybe three decades uh, jamaica has a, a, a fairly diverse experience as it relates to interest rates right i mean we had very high interest rates in the 90s Mm -hmm. and for the better part of the 2000s um rates were elevated Mm -hmm. i guess the the turning point was our latest engagement with the international monetary fund which was very successful Mm -hmm. right so i mean post 2013 we had the national debt exchange we kind of reset interest rates and we set about a coordinated effort across both monetary and fiscal policy to really fix some of the structural issues that we had in our economy right so we have seen debt trend down even in the face of challenges. We've seen the fiscal accounts um, move much closer to being um, optimally where you want to be um, from from emerging market country perspective. I mean, we've moved past balance and now we're actually seeing surpluses in in some areas. Imagine that. Which is unimaginable. (laughs) Our monetary policy framework has become a lot more sophisticated, um, very deliberate, very coordinated, um, very data-driven. We're we're certainly seeing uh, a lot of learnings um, coming out in terms of how our central bank is managing things. And we have moved to inflation targeting and what we're seeing in terms of the central bank response to where things are is mirroring that right they are sticking to the script and they're really um, executing on their commitment in terms of being uh, the the safeguard 
against um, price volatility uh, as evidenced by inflation. Now, I mean, people are split as it relates to uh, the how and the what, um, and I won't debate that here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to talk about uh, capital markets mm-hmm. and you know the state of things and, and how I see things going forward. So the capital markets have really flourished in the face of everything that I just described yes. in terms of the progress, right? One major driver of that, other than low interest rates, which is definitely referring to the capital markets, has been the reduction in the crowding out effect, so to speak, as we describe it, that was happening with the government of Jamaica. Government is not as hungry for debt. Correct. Okay. So there was a lot of dominance uh, in terms of the government of Jamaica being a serial issuer Mm -hmm. in the market, raising capital to fund its accounts. Mm -hmm. Because of everything that I just described, that has not been the case for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So people like you and I have been able to go out there and do our jobs and convince companies uh, to not focus as much Mm-hmm. on bank debt for certain projects right because there's a i mean a big space and big room for bank debt and i'll get into that in a moment yeah, yeah. and actually utilize the capital markets the flexibility that capital markets offers in order to be better in their own respects right to grow their businesses right so we've seen a flurry of initial and other public offerings we've seen a a flurry of landmark transactions in terms of size complexity we've seen a lot of startups come to the fore and do well and it has really just generally augured well for progression and sophistication in our capital markets it's been a very good time to be involved in the business that we're in um, for sure i've you know experienced a lot for the first time it's been very interesting Mm. and importantly a lot of economic growth and job creation has really come out of this period in jamaica's history right so now we're facing a bit of a headwind right rates have gone up and not only have they gone up but they've gone up over what feels like a very short period of time because it is <laughs> so i mean i, I was having this discussion last christmas someone. we're at 0.5 right that is, that is probably sure i think liftoff started maybe in the last quarter of last year i don't think it was quite december mm. but i was having this discussion with someone where um i was talking to a client uh, maybe september last year they, they were contemplating a project and the project required several third-party approvals so they had the concept i mean it's a going concern business so issued them an indicative term sheet i think the rate was maybe seven seven percent um secured structure and they're like okay thank you this looks good my accountant has run the numbers i'm going to take this away go and get my approvals scope the project fully and come back to you guys when i'm done well, it came back to me late in the summer, and of course, that seven um, has gone to heaven. It's <laughs> it's, um, it's 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 no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, we had to reissue new terms, yeah. um, which were in double digits, mm-hmm. um, which is where the market is now. And the client has been thinking about it for the last couple of months. I, I haven't gotten an update um, in the recent past, but it's really indicative of the impact, I suppose, of of higher rates on um, capital markets participants, at least on the the side of of the issuer. Mm-hmm. Right? People can get spooked. It may be a situation where the higher cost of funding now makes the project a little bit more marginal. Uh, 
it's our job though as investment bankers to read the market context and ensure that we're doing right by both issuers and investors mm. right so we have to balance yeah. uh, we have to ensure that we price risk properly we have to ensure that we structure to not set our our customers up in terms of companies um, to not be able to afford the liabilities that they're taking on and we also have to take out our advisory hat at this point in time and ensure that we're not pursuing transactional business right we're pursuing relationship oriented business so it may be that we tell our client oh boy you know, I would love for you to do this transaction in this quarter it would be great for me yeah but we probably need to wait six months and see how things turn out. Yeah. Right? See, you know, rates kind of stabilize a bit. Then I can go to the market and try and raise this three billion for you. Right? That being said, there is still appetite in the market for funding and there's still appetite in the market for investments right despite the higher interest rate environment deals are clearing uh, so it's really a case-by-case basis in terms of how to approach things Uh, so high interest rate environment people are a little uncertain and uncertainty is the definition of risk right so i guess heightened risk environment uh, but where there is risk uh, there is sometimes um, reward on yeah. the back of it so yeah, it's, it's it's about finding that little crevice where we need to occupy yeah i think is a i think it might be a chinese proverb or something is like there there are two sides to the risk equation mm-hmm. you know danger an opportunity well there you go there you go so so it's about leading everybody to the side of opportunity and Mm -hmm. avoiding the danger at all costs absolutely absolutely so but so where does that leave us now i mean for your typical client you 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 know ipos are not overnight things not short Mm -hmm. run a lot of people Mm -hmm. have ipos in their strategic plans Mm -hmm. three five years yes so for for the people that are coming down to the the completion of that arc yes you have to make a decision say Mm -hmm. all right i'm there now i've done all this work over the last three five years Mm -hmm. is this a good time to come to the public market so another good question right so i mean i'm gonna answer it in a very roundabout way and probably cycle through the options that Mm -hmm. that company has generally but also with the nuanced um the nuances around this environment right so broadly companies have the option of going to either private or public markets for funding Mm -hmm. right and they generally have the option along a spectrum of going for debt funding on one end of that spectrum uh, and equity funding um, on the other end of that spectrum and some stuff in between Mm -hmm. which I'll get into. So to describe generally the options available in private markets on the debt side, I kind of segment them in three segments at this point in time. There is the bank market which Mm -hmm everybody's familiar with uh, which has been the main staple in Jamaica for a long time Mm -hmm. Um, and that still represents the I think probably the largest single source of typical funding in businesses here in Jamaica Mm -hmm. right but banks have a particular frame in which they love to lend Mm -hmm. and understandably so they are funding these loans with depositors money which Mm -hmm. is generally unsecured um, generally seen as low risk so they have a responsibility to ensure that they're lending 
lending products similarly match up with the risk that mm. people are taking by depositing money yes. with them, right? So their structures tend to be secured mm. uh, for corporates. I mean, very mature blue chip corporates get larger unsecured funding structures mm. um, based on their um, balance sheet, cash flows, profit and loss, etc. their financial statements and the strength there too. But generally secured, Right, so collateral is a must um, in some cases when you go into the bank. Right, they generally have a frame within which payments are made. So it may be monthly payments of both paying back the principal of the loan and interest over time. And they generally have tenures that they can go up to five years, seven years, ten years, depending on the nature of the loan. Mm -hmm. So they have a whole Rubik's Cube of solutions, mm -hmm. but they're set out in set frames yes not a lot of wiggle room there mm -hmm. right which is where us in the capital markets mm -hmm. come in to kind of fit into the space that the banks really don't occupy right so we have to be flexible we have to be creative right so that's the bank market i'd say the second market that i can mention is the private capital markets so there is debt funding available there right and banks tend to do bilateral facilities where it's you and the bank mm -hmm. right um, so they are lending to you or they can form a syndicate where a couple of banks come together depending on the size of your transaction if you're you know it's a whale of a transaction it may take a couple of banks to take it down mm -hmm. the capital markets effectively allow for an expansion of that effect mm -hmm. because if you go to the private capital markets I can assemble a bunch of appropriate investors to fund a transaction that gives you a lot more flexibility than a bank loan, right? Mm -hmm. So, let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. I can line up 20 investors. These investors could be pension funds, insurance companies, securities dealers, high net worth, high net worth individuals, sorry, mm -hmm. who will come together and fund your transaction. So it's a diversified source and pool mm -hmm. of people, right? So that's one advantage. On the side of the actual instrument that funds your business you get a lot more flexibility so maybe monthly payments don't work for you because of the nature of your business we can maybe move to quarterly payments mm -hmm. semi-annually mm -hmm. maybe even once a year depending on what the appetite of the investors are mm -hmm. uh, maybe paying back principal before the end doesn't really work for you based on the nature of your business no worries we can maybe set up a facility that has what's called a bullet payment mm -hmm. at the end Right, which is something that maybe a bank cannot do routinely. Yeah. Right, uh, maybe we have investors who have appetite for your unsecured debt. Maybe the banks may be limited in terms of the amount of unsecured debt they can do. No worries, our investor pool can take that up, which adds another layer of flexibility. So there are a number of moving parts that we can tweak through the private capital markets. There is still, as the name suggests, privacy around it. You can do it quietly. Mm. We don't need to alert your competitors that you are raising two or three billion dollars to come and take over the marketplace <laughs> right we can have quiet whispers with investors that we know well and keep it private mm -hmm. and you can go ahead and execute in silence so the private capital markets i guess are the second lane down which uh, companies can travel right and that naturally creates investment opportunities for those 
for whom it's suitable, right? Because it's important. These things are not for everybody, yeah. at least in their raw, raw form, yeah. right? And the third lane are alternative lenders, right? And we've seen a number of those pop up, right? Who offer what we call private credit instruments, mm. which again tend to be bilateral or syndicated in nature, just like the bank. So they, they have elements of both the bank and private capital markets. But they tend to have even more flexibility than what is typically available in the private capital markets. These instruments tend to be designed to the T for the company or customer in question. Mm -hmm. right? So let's say a customer is pursuing a business opportunity where in the early years, the cash flow will be low. Right? We could maybe design an instrument, an alternative lender, or an investment bank who tends to sometimes play the role of either the alternative lender themselves or an advisor to the alternative lender. Mm -hmm. An investment bank can design a solution that sees very low coupon payments in the first two years or very low interest rates in the first two years, and then it kind of steps up to a higher rate. Mm -hmm. It could be an instrument that gives regard to the fact that, as you said, the company has an IPO in their strategic plan in three years. So the instrument might start out as a debt instrument, but it may say, we can convert this debt to equity if the company goes to IPO. Yes. Right? And there are a whole lot of levers that can be pulled to really sync the instrument up with the needs of the customer um, via the private credit lane, right? So those are kind of the three lanes in the private debt markets that are available uh, to customers in this environment, right? Still a lot of options. Yeah. Right? On that last note, yes, it interest rates are high, as we've been saying. Is mm -hmm. there an option where, you know, the, the environment is what it is, you have to pay mm -hmm. a high rate, but can it adjust down in the future years that's also perspective so you you can set so that's that's a very good point you can actually reward customers so customers will come in and say listen guys i'm going to be the next big thing mm -hmm. all right believe in me i have 10 percent market share now but if you lend me this money mm -hmm. i will move that 10 percent to 40 percent mm -hmm. in three years right or whatever indicator mm -hmm. i'll move my profits from two million a year to 40 million a year <laughs> yeah so you can build in automatic step downs mm. into the company's uh, performance. So you may say to them, all right, I hear you. If you meet your targets, your rate will move down by 1% mm. or whatever it is mm. uh, per year because naturally their business is getting better, their credit is improving and you can reward them for mm. that. So as I said, there are a myriad of features that you can build into these instruments because of the nature of how they're negotiated, as I said, typically bilaterally or via syndicate. And these lenders tend not to be bound to the same strictures of the bank. Their funding is different. They aren't funded by deposits. Mm -hmm. So they can take a bit more risk albeit controlled risk and risk that they understand and mitigate for in different ways than the bank um, the bank can. So so that's really, um, I guess, a, a discussion around the range of options that exist on that side. So on the equity side of things. Uh, right? Before you get to equity, if yes. I, so if I sum, tell me if I'm summing up correctly in terms of the private credit and credit generally, right? So the biggest pool traditionally in Jamaica is bank loans. 
but those are those come in kind of a preset packages and have some amount of rigidity that's correct and then the nature of their funding deposit funding you know the man on the street retail etc uh gives them a heightened fiduciary responsibility so they, they they're shy with the risk that's correct then you have the capital markets the capital markets offer a, a wider range of investors and potentially wider pools yes in, in, in terms of single ticket sizes yes uh and then you you can you can do that quietly, like like you said, and these the structures are a bit more flexible. Correct. Right. So you, you you're not necessarily slapping one rate, one payment. You know you can push off the principal a little. Like, so you have wiggle room. The alternative le- lenders introduce even more flexibility, flexibility and 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 tailoring to the correct. to the transaction. So, That's correct. I, I, so if if you believe in your company and you're looking for a financing solution that is going to evolve with your company and and really not give a cookie cutter solution but something that is suited to your specific evolution and business cycle yes you might want to go that way that is correct that's a fair that, sum up that is a very good summary all right, all right. Summary. so tell us about equity markets now so on the equity side of things mm-hmm. right and i'll start with the private markets again and then i'm going to deal with the public markets more generally mm-hmm. and talk about the jamaica case right so on the equity side you tend to see a couple of different kinds of equity uh in private companies right there's what we call founders equity which is first set of guys to the table, mm. right? They are, as the name suggests, guys who start the business and they're the insiders. Yes. They come and take the first risk with the business and get it off the ground, right? Get it going. And that tends to go in first um, and that tends to have a different feel to it, right? Because it's a startup business. Mm. It can go south. Most businesses actually fail. Mm. So mm. you can appreciate that the risk associated with founders' equity is substantially different mm. than any other equity that comes into the business at any other time mm. into the future. Right? And founders are therefore um, at times treated differently mm. um, from shareholders who come in later in the day, mm. right? Because of course they were there from the start, and typically. As the business evolves and grows, founders have to put more money into the business, mm-hmm. right? And they tend to do so via mechanism, which is, I guess, fairly well known to people who focus on public markets via, say, rights issues, mm-hmm. right? And in doing so, they give very little regard to uh, price and value, mm-hmm. right? They tend to just agree amongst themselves to put additional money into their business that they started mm-hmm. at some agreed price mm. right or rate um a dollar mm. a dollar fifty mm. um, that tends to be the approach mm. right? now founders equity is um, sacred and then you tend to have first or second round equity which comes in from a third party mm. right and again this is private so typical third party or first or second round equity investors tend to be I guess uh, among the similar pool of people who participate either in the capital markets 
or are on the, the private lending side of the debt spectrum, right? So it tends to be capital market participants who are looking for private equity opportunities mm -hmm. and specialized private equity firms or investment banks who tend to make these types of investments, right? And typically a prerequisite to the investment is going to be a valuation, right? Yes. There has to be some arms length exchange because now it's no longer the people who started the business. It's no longer the founders, right? The, the men and women who built the business from scratch and took that startup. They business. almost live and breathe the business. Correct. Right. It's now a third party. Yeah. I mean, and this third party, of course, is still taking a risk. The business may still be in an early stage, mm -hmm. but there's something they're built already. So you need to pay a market for it, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's just like um, any other uh, investment. Yeah. Right? There is a price to be paid. Mm -hmm. So the typical prerequisite for, say, someone like us, an investment bank, looking to come in as an outsider into a business that has been funded by founders mm -hmm. is a valuation yeah. and a proposal um, that we put to them around uh, a level at which we'd be willing to invest. Some people come with their desired level at this. We have commissioned a third-party valuation and we believe that we're worth X. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to buy 10%, then you need to pay Y. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's typical and very different from when they're injecting additional money mm. into their business mm. right so it it almost mirrors something that we know uh, and have seen uh, very often in the public markets mm which is the difference between a rights issue mm. type transaction and a follow-on issue or as we refer to it here in Jamaica uh, and it has taken hold in the region an additional public offering of shares. APO. Uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. So rights issues take on a couple of forms. Mm -hmm. right? Rights issues are usually renounceable or non-renounceable. Right? So renounceable rights issues are available exclusively in the initial instance to existing shareholders of the business, right? And that's what rights issues are about generally, allowing existing shareholders in a business to inject additional capital in the business. Now, the nuance with a renounceable rights issue is that those existing shareholders, should they choose not to take up all their rights mm -hmm. or invest all the money that they're entitled to invest in the business, they can actually assign that right by renouncing it to somebody else, anybody else. Right? Now, some renounceable rights issues are limited to allowing renouncing only to existing shareholders, right? Only people who fit the bill, mm. right? Mm. While others allow renouncing to anyone else, right? Non-renounceable rights issues, as the name suggests, basically say, listen, if you're not taking this thing up, um, it's going to go into a pool and the other existing shareholders are going to compete in that pool to try and mm. take it up. We're not letting anybody else into our company. Yes. So even public companies have done that. Do that right? yeah. So to use the example, say, of Barita. Barita did both forms of rights mm -hmm. issues, I remember, uh, in 2019. So in March 2019, Barita would have done a non-renounceable rights issue mm -hmm. where shares were offered at $15.50. And I remember at the time, the market price was, I think, maybe in the high 30s, mm -hmm. uh, 40s, mm -hmm. may have even been in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And I forget my numbers. I was 
in the midst of that at that time of um, putting the final touches on deciding to come to Barita yeah. right? so I was looking on the outside looking in like wow I wish I was a Barita shareholder mm-hmm. right? um, I could get access to shares at $15.50 yeah. and Later in the year, Barita did another rights issue, this time renounceable, mm-hmm. which allowed external parties to come into the business, right? And the approach was a little different. Mm-hmm. So the 1550 discount was steep yeah. at that time. Yeah. But when Barita did the renounceable rights issue, which allowed other people to come into the business, I recall the price was maybe $45 and the trading price at that time was in the 50s. So still a discount but a much more modest discount which is typical much closer to market price in yeah. terms of where the shares were valued yeah. for outsiders coming into the business and similarly we've done two additional public offerings since then at $52 a share and then $80 a share and in both instances these were done at slight discounts um, to where the market was trading at at a different at different points in time, whether when it was decided or when it was made public, but nothing or like whatever the, the case is, rights issue. nothing like that steep discount. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a similar case in private companies when founders are looking to put additional money into their business at some decided rate that they've agreed amongst themselves, and when they're letting outsiders into the business. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are the funding options available. Right? So during this time when interest rates are high, uh, money is short, I'm sure founders may be thinking, is this the time for me to look to a partner mm-hmm. to come into my business? Right? And Barita can help in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. Right? One, if you already have a partner in mind, no worries we can advise you. Mm. So we can come in, they may have an idea around the valuation of your business. We can give you an idea of what we think the valuation is. We have experts internally who have a whole lot of experience in valuing companies, mm. public and private. Mm. And we can also advise you around what's best re-transaction structure. Uh, if your potential suitor requires funding, we might be able to give them a funding solution. Mm. So there are several ways that we can help you, even if you have someone at the table already. Mm. Right? To complement that, we could be the person at the table. Yeah. Right? We are interested in providing funding and investing solutions to our clients across the spectrum, whether it's equity debt or somewhere in between. Mm. So we could be that potential suitor to help you with the additional equity capital that you need in your business to maybe access that bank loan that you've been negotiating for a while to yeah. get that project off the ground. Yeah. Right? We operate across the capital stack. We work well with other funders and lenders and we don't need, as they say, the whole hog to be comfortable as your financial advisor. We fit in where we add most value. And if we can't add the value, then that's fine. We will probably point you in the direction of where you can go to get what you need uh, in your business. So those are kind of the two ways that we can help, either as advisor or potential suitor. Uh, to invest um, in your business. And in both cases, we'll be looking at what's the market value of this business to determine where either ourselves or the potential investor will come into the business. Okay. So, the, I mean, that was a lot. But the, um, the on the last point of the APO and the rights issue, you know, it's kind of a 
topic du jour or mm-hmm. you know whatever in the marketplace yeah i mean is it fair to brand you know an, an apo is this our rights issues mm-hmm. is that is is it fair to automatically view one as better than the other or mm-hmm. is it is it better to view it through the lens of the age stage or what the company is 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 trying to accomplish so it's a good question mm-hmm. right and there are a couple of considerations and i'm kind of seeing the public debate right so financial markets generally are driven by a couple of factors right there are fundamental factors you know how well is the company doing and you know how well is the industry doing and all these things is the management fantastic there are technical factors you know you'll see people um uh, you turn on cnbc or bloomberg and the layman will see a guy drawing some lines all over a chart and saying this this thing went here and that and it will bounce and Mm -hmm. all of this right i won't get technical yeah or you might go on social media and see somebody trading foreign exchange and they have their chart up and they're telling you what direction things are going to go in because of what has happened in the past. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, those are technical factors. Mm-hmm. And you have sentiment, investor sentiment, mm-hmm. consumer sentiment. That's the human element of things. And it's very important. Right? We can't ignore it. You could have the best thing in the world, right? If it does not align well with the sentiment of in the room mm-hmm. or at the point in time when you're pitching it mm-hmm. it won't work right? and it's the same way with the markets uh, for a long time companies in our markets delivered year after year after year in terms of profits and difficult times in Jamaica and they traded at very low single digit price to earnings ratios which is usually indicative of stocks being very cheap Yeah, but sometime in I suppose the the early part of the last decade in 2012 2013 when the economy started to do better and rates started to go down and we started to see outsiders investing in our market and buying companies for multiples of what they were trading at mm-hmm. sentiment changed and, and suddenly people realized hey this might actually be cheap yeah right? so sentiment is a very important determinant of how markets move mm-hmm. um, and particularly in smaller markets um, where people tend to be in touch and tend to row the boat in the same direction typically uh, sentiment can be a big driver so what i'd say is while um the fundamentals may align well around what a rights issue does and what an apo does typically it introduces additional capital into a company right and as long as that capital is put to good use uh, for the benefit of the shareholders it should be positive for the shareholders the fundamentals align well there are factors around sentiment that may determine whether a company does well if they do a rights issue versus an apo i mean if everyone feels like apos are good and rights issues are not then there may be you know factors affecting things mm. um there also may be what you call externalities mm. right um when you do statistics and i won't get too technical they tell you 
correlation does not necessarily lead to causation mm. meaning not because two things seem to move in the same direction it At means that time. one causes the other mm. right it may be spurious as they say it may be unconnected right? mm. so it may be a situation where coincidentally one company does a rights issue and things work out well and another company does an APO and over the horizon things have not worked out well mm. uh, but generally speaking my own view is while um, there are obviously a lot of short-term opportunities um, in the market mm. they tend to be fleeting um, they tend to and, and, and you know stock market is a zero-sum game right um so typically those who win in the short term there are people who lose in the short term mm -hmm. as a result right mm -hmm. but what works um almost all the time is a longer term focus um investing strategy that really doesn't tie much to you know is this company doing an apo or a rights issue and focuses more on the factors that tend to to transcend different periods of time in the economy or in the market or even transcend sentiment which is the fundamentals is the management good is the business strategy good is the company poised to grow over time right mm -hmm. so i really won't comment on whether one is better than the other mm. um you know it, it really boils down ultimately in my view to what the funds are used to do mm. in a company in terms mm. of transforming the business um and what the business strategy ultimately ends up being and in the end the value that you add to the shareholders that right? is correct that's yeah. correct so. that's that's principally important mm. yeah. i mean regardless of how you raise it so take away his time right yes. um so look at the market mm -hmm. look at like the jsc mm -hmm. main index has struggled yeah junior index has done significantly better yes right? it has a whole lot of volumes traded as well combined index struggle us dollar index do significantly better so where does that leave us? Is it is it fair to say is a good time for mm -hmm. smaller companies to come to the public markets? Good um, question. If you have another massive company like a massive, you you are them wait. Like what, 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 where does this leave? So it says a good question. Mm -hmm. So it's it's nuanced and mm -hmm. it's case by case. But I'll give some general advice. Uh, so on the side of companies. If you have a good project, it's always a good time to raise capital, mm. right? You just need to ensure that the capital you raise is appropriate. So in other words, if you have a view that um, based on your own internal sense, the advice that you've gleaned from those on whom you rely as a business person, if you think that the interest rate environment will be transitory, if you believe that we'll have higher rates for a while and then things will moderate, um, which is a viewpoint that is held, right? mm -hmm. then don't fund the business with fixed rate 15-year debt. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't make sense for you to lock in at this quote-unquote mm -hmm. high interest rate because mm -hmm. you think rates are going to go down for 15 years. Just doesn't make sense. Yeah, hold on, you say something now. I got it. I want to go back to. If you have a good business and a good project, it's always a good time to raise capital. For sure, right. for sure. That right? it, 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 make, it makes sense. Yeah, right. let's tag that. We will tag that. <laughs> that's an important point. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that's number one, right? You have to raise appropriate funding mm -hmm. based on your outlook on the general environment. 
But more importantly than that, you have to raise appropriate funding for the type of project that you're looking to do or the age and stage of your business. Mm -hmm. You can't be looking to raise higher interest rate debt that demands payments every month or every quarter or whatever the case is knowing that you're going to be pursuing a business strategy that is going to come to some sense of maturity over the next three years yeah. right you'd be setting yourself up to fail you yeah. would still have a good business yeah. or a good project but bad funding, mm -hmm. right? So I've described a, a wide spectrum and array of funding opportunities that may be available to you. You can go to the bank, mm -hmm. you can look at the private capital markets, you can look for an alternative lender who can give you something bespoke and customized. You can look at putting money in your own business, betting on yourself, if you have it. Mm -hmm. You can look at bringing in a third party into the business. And there is this, there is this negative connotation um, associated with bringing you know, investors into your business. Mm -hmm. I mean, there have been horror stories. Yeah. Right? But what I would but say. There have been great stories as well. There have been fantastic stories. Mm -hmm. And it's important to bring in the right person and ensure that there is alignment, things are professional, you get the right protections, you have your legal representation. Because together, and we've seen the benefits of partnership. Right. I mean, since the beginning of time, we've mm -hmm. been collaborating as human beings. We have formed packs and mm -hmm. groups and done the impossible. We've built pyramids and mm -hmm. developed incredible technology. Yes. So sometimes going it alone is, is not the best thing to do. So there are a wide array of opportunities, even in this environment, to raise money, um, raise money that's appropriate to fund your business. Uh, and there are still many opportunities that can be pursued despite the uncertainty and the difficulties um, in, in, in the, the operating environment. Mm -hmm. So still a good time, I'd say, provided you have a good business um, and, a good project. or a good project. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, if we shift and, and like look a little bit at private markets, I mean, we mentioned it, interest rates are high, the, the environment isn't what it was, mm -hmm. right? But then, yes, Roman raised $4 billion for a financial company, <laughs> right? So, so the, the, the question is, the, the, does that mean that it's a good time to raise, to raise money in the mm -hmm. private markets as opposed to, to, the public markets. to the public markets? If I need so, another $4 billion, do I call Roman? Is, 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 is that how it works? So again, it's, it's nuanced um, yeah. once more. And you asked some version of this before. So yeah. if we look at what has happened in the public markets here to date, um, it would imply that there isn't really a whole lot of appetite for large um, mm -hmm. transactions. Mm -hmm. And I know a number of people have been kind of waiting on the sidelines, mm -hmm. see? Because the, the fact is that during uncertain times, people are hesitant to commit large portions of their portfolio. Yeah. They want to see whether they can hold out and get better prices. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, if you have a large public equity transaction to do, for example, mm -hmm. it may make sense to kind of wait and mm -hmm. see, canvas the market a bit, um, see what the interest is like, um, as appropriate, of course, mm -hmm. in the context of the regulatory framework that governs these types of activities. Mm -hmm. That's that's a very important underpinning to um, mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah, point. Mm -hmm. uh, and the strike when the iron gets at least warm, mm -hmm. um, if not hot. Mm -hmm. right? If you have a smaller transaction to do, as you have said, the sentiment to as these smaller junior market transactions has been very strong here today. Yes. So it seems to 
imply that the runway is clear for these types of transactions. Yes. Right? In the private markets, it really is nuanced. It comes down to the capabilities of the institution that you're in touch with. Mm-hmm. It comes down to the relationships that they have and their ability to distribute the whatever transaction that they're arranging on your behalf and the time over which they can do it because things are changing fast. Mm-hmm. If you raise money in August, then the price would have been different probably than what you can get in November. Mm-hmm. So you need an institution that has the architecture that's set up to be able to raise that money uh, and move it around quickly enough in terms of the product and get the funding to you um, quickly enough as well. Uh, so we think as an organization, we've built ourselves in a way um, via a couple of avenues which I'll get into that position us well to be the investment banking partner of choice Mm -hmm. um, even during these difficult times one we spent the first three years of the post acquisition period of Barita once Cornerstone took over building a firm foundation a firm financial foundation we raised over 33 and a half billion dollars in equity capital Mm -hmm. because we knew that markets would get tumultuous and equity more than anything else in a business sure it's the medium via which you can take advantage of opportunities but it's what safeguards your business during difficult times it's a buffer as they say so we enhanced our buffer Mm -hmm. significantly in the first three years um, of our post-acquisition period. We also endowed the business with a good bit of human capital, mm-hmm. right? So we pride ourselves on having a very strong team on the investment banking side. Well, you know, that's a big part of what you mm-hmm. do. Uh, we have Terry Kettle, who is our head of investment banking, leading the capital raising efforts for companies. She has completed a number of landmark transactions on behalf of companies here. Largest cross listing on the JSC, largest fundraise by a junior market company, the list goes on. Largest additional public offering um, here in Jamaica goes on and on and on in terms of the landmark transactions that Therese has been able to do. During, by the way, a very difficult period. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something. Therese joined this company maybe seven days before we had our first COVID case here in Jamaica. So she has been operating exclusively yeah. in a post-COVID environment mm-hmm. and still managing to help companies create value mm-hmm. for their shareholders and their stakeholders, their employees, create jobs. Yes. Um, that's ultimately what we do um, in terms of what we enable in terms of our funding. Uh, so the financial base that we've been able to build helps us to be capable in terms of completing these transactions. The human capital that we have brought into the business that has been working hard on behalf of our clients helps us to execute. And we also think that we we are not constrained, save and except, of course, one, our regulator responsibilities, two, any fiduciary responsibilities we have um, to our clients and both those two things never tend to be in conflict. And three, the risk parameters that have been set out by our board and that are measured and monitored and safeguarded by our risk management unit, of course, but also every single officer in this company. Save and accept those limitations. We 
are very creative thinkers, right? There is uh, sometimes a negative association with creativity and anything to do with money. Yeah. So, the, mm-hmm. so don't be afraid. There is the backstop of all the three safeguards that I've yeah. mentioned before, right? But we, we try to think outside of the box to ensure that the solutions that we provide on either side of our business, whether it's to our investors or to our um, clients who are seeking to raise money, those solutions benefit from all the, the brain power that every single team member on that side of the business has built up over the, the extent of their career. So we try to think outside of the box to make things work. And that's, I think, the third thing. Outside of the money that we've raised that makes us capable and our people, we as an organization try to innovate uh, the the group's um mission and guiding principle is to continuously challenge the status quo mm. and that's what we're about on behalf of our clients so okay. sounds good i mean so at the top you were mentioning your responsibilities in terms of revenue but i mean by need by by given the fact that you have treasury responsibilities yeah there's quite a bit of balance sheet there as well right so yeah. the the question for you that i know the marketplace is interested in um, and where you sit now. So you, you gave the history of Barita, mm-hmm. you know, building those buffers, raising, raising all that capital, $33.5 billion. And then at the end of the day, you know, uh, we, we've said it on this, in, in this, um, on this platform before, you put numbers on that to really make it stark. I think the company has been at double what the, the industry has averaged in terms of capital adequacy yes. and well over four times the regulatory minimum. So so when you say you add buffers, it's not a... It's, <laughs> it's not an understatement. Yeah. Uh, it's not an understatement. And I mean, during this time is when that has really come to bear. Right? Mm-hmm. So, one, raising equity is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And we raised a lot of our equity post the onset of the pandemic. Yes. It was hard. Yes. Right? Yes. But two, raising equity, while it does not have an explicit cost, it's expensive because you have to give a return on that Mm -hmm. equity. And in this environment, it may be more challenging than if it were two or three years ago, right? But we took the... Over time, it's significantly more expensive than debt, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we took the hard decision to do that because Mm -hmm. we knew that there was going to come a point in time when the economy, having benefited from all the stimulus, Mm -hmm. years and years and years, Mm -hmm. would kind of feel a little fatigued. I'm sure we're all feeling the fatigue of the economy right now. And a fatigued economy does not augur well for financial markets. So what have we seen here to date? I mean, you spoke about the unremarkable performance of the main market Mm -hmm. and the combined market Mm -hmm. here. But what has also been the case is that U.S. and other developed markets in terms of equities have also been down to date. The weird thing is... Bond, bond, bond markets have lost more than equity markets. Correct. So higher interest rates have also seen debt markets, whether you are a developed market like mm-hmm. the US, the UK mm-hmm. and parts of Europe, or an emerging market like Jamaica, Dominican Republic, Bahamas. You have seen sharp fall off in bond prices. I mean, government of Jamaica debt securities, which have been, uh, you know, a star in emerging market bond investment mm-hmm. portfolios for the last... I want to say for the entire post-IMF era, yeah, um, yeah. almost the last Absolutely. 10 years, you have seen the longest bond that we have, which is a bond that matures in 2045. I think we maybe started the year at a price of 140 on that bond. Mm-hmm. At points in time this year, we have seen that bond trade close to 100, Yikes. which 
It's over 30%. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it sounds like a lot when you contextualize it in the context of it being a bond, a mm-hmm. debt instrument, which yeah. typically, you know, yeah, More prices fluctuate, yeah. but 4% down, 3% mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So, all of us locally in the financial services sector mm-hmm. tend to invest in securities, yes. equities, bonds, etc. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we would have faced a lot of losses mm-hmm. associated with holding these positions, right? Our general strategy at Barita, I mean, we've spoken about this publicly. Sure, we invest in traditional assets. We yeah. are big players in the bond market. We're big players in the equity market. Mm-hmm. We are a broker with the JSC. We're the second largest broker for the last two calendar years, mm-hmm. um, up from, I think, sixth before mm-hmm. the company was acquired. So we're a big player in the space. But we have generally limited a lot of our exposure to market risk, even though we have a lot of tolerance for it because we have a large capital base. So as markets have tumbled, it has impacted generally the results of financial services firms. And we're seeing it um, in terms of the releases on the JSC. It has impacted our results too. Yeah. I mean, we certainly have made as much money as we could have if yeah. market conditions were Absolutely. different mm. for our shareholders. But importantly, even after all of the turmoil of markets coming down as they have over the course of the last several months, we still have a very safe business. Our capital ratios are still very high. Mm. We still have ample levels of liquidity. We're still very capable to serve our clients who need us to use some balance sheet Mm. to help them with whatever solution they have. And we're still able to provide solutions for our investors who want to, to participate in Barita, whether it's via repo or whatever the case is, a structured note, we can use our balance sheet to do that. Mm-hmm. So the hard yards that we would have done yeah. in raising all of this equity to fortify the business and make a very capable business, it has also served to make a very resilient business. So we expect that this fatigue in the economy maybe prolonged and by prolonged I mean it, it certainly we don't anticipate a snapback like what we saw with the pandemic where mm-hmm. it felt like things were at least in the financial markets it felt like things were bad for one quarter and yeah. there was a quick bounce, bounce back, back. Mm-hmm. Um, we expect this fatigue to last for a little while mm-hmm. but importantly we believe we've built a business that can outlast the fatigue mm. right which which is an important point for our shareholders and stakeholders people who invest with us we still have a very safe business even with all the the you know turmoil that's happening in sections of the market mm. and i mean it's there for everybody to see your financial it is right? it is it's it's evidenced by all our public releases mm. and we continue to be heavily regulated and scrutinized and you know it, it, it is the nature of the business that you're in but you know there is there's a a lot of trust um, that our customers put in us, but we can assure them that there's a lot of verification that's yeah. done on their behalf, <laughs> Absolutely. And on the back end to support their trust. As well. Yes. So, I mean, give some insight into like uh, the strategic direction and future. We're looking at the 
the the short history of Barita under Cornerstone. A lot has happened. Yes. Right. A lot of capital has been raised, and then yes. you know why and so you kind of laid out the defensive strategies in yes. terms of fortifying the business, business is safe and so on, and can deal with volatility and uncertainty mm-hmm. going forward. A little bit of the offensive thing, you know, can help clients with buying yes. where necessary and allow clients to participate in growth of Barita. Uh, but you know. All of that capital, what you, what, what, what are you doing with it? No, we see. Look like you go go buy a parish. <laughs> oh boy, not at all. Not, not at quite, all. but but um, we saw large purchases yes. there, yes. right? Uh, so so there's that. I mean, you can talk about uh, talk sure. a little about that if you want. Yeah, so I can, I can reiterate a lot of what we've said publicly already, mm-hmm. right? Which is a, a couple of things. One, post acquisition, we wanted to build a full service investment bank. So there was a missing piece. The corporate finance piece was not as developed as you know it needed to be. Mm-hmm. So we established an investment banking division with the focused objective of being capable to raise capital on behalf of businesses. And since the inception of our business, as I mentioned before, it has done very well um, for our clients and for the organization and therefore our shareholders. Mm-hmm. Right? So we built out a full service business we have built out our wealth management capabilities right so we have a premium wealth and corporate solutions division which is headed by Sansia Thompson um, and located at um, 60 Northford Boulevard in the Panjam building mm-hmm. right so we have that division to serve um, our clients uh, our high net worth clients exclusively uh, via that service uh, our retail division we have expanded our branch network by one so far <laughs> right we have another location in Montego Bay yeah. and the retail segment is headed uh, by Dave Dixon who really has oversight for the branch network and what we've done is essentially enhance our ability to serve our customers. We've really spent a lot of time on customer experience. Uh, we are infusing technology into our customer interactions to enhance efficiency and just make the customer experience generally much more pleasant um, for both sides. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, further on the business side, we have spoken a lot about our bias as it relates to our principal investment strategy mm-hmm. towards alternative investments. Yes. Right? So, of course, as I mentioned before, we are players in traditional securities, mm-hmm. but we have built out significantly allocations to alternative assets based on our last uh, earnings release and um, our public disclosures. We indicated that financial year to date, we've deployed over $5.5 billion to private credit slash private equity type um, investments and that has actually featured in our earnings uh, for our last financial year right those types of exposures which have been resilient in the face of these rising interest rates so important the effects of diversification are shining through we have also curated organized um, and funded (laughs) a, a portfolio of what we think are are some prime real estate assets Mm -hmm. uh, which we have as we telegraphed before made available for access by the public through our real estate unit trust fund uh, and we have now set out on a strategy that will see us ultimately attempting to extract highest and best use uh, from those real estate assets. Again, that's an asset class that we think uh, has great significance in terms of overall economic growth. Mm-hmm. 
and also offers great diversification to traditional asset classes, right? So I spoke about private equity, credit, and the role that we've been playing there, and real estate. And we also have our eyes on infrastructure, which is a longer-tailed type investment, right? These things tend to, one, take some time to get out of the ground, and two, have very long lives. Uh, but we do have a pipeline as it relates to that side of things, and that rounds out the spectrum of alternative investments that we've been focused on. So that's that's another area um, of our strategy that we've been very public and open about. Uh, and generally speaking, Raul, I mean, again, overarchingly, we're here to challenge the status quo, right? We are doing, most of what we're doing is not unremarkably in a global context mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. We're simply helping to move the needle um, with respect to our local capital markets, close to where global capital markets have been for years. Yeah. Uh, and we believe there is great value to be had for our customers on both sides of the business, whether it's investors or people looking to raise capital, and ultimately, quite honestly, for our economy mm. here in Jamaica, mm. and that will ultimately benefit from additional jobs mm. and economic growth and value being created uh, out of the the real sector impacts of the investments um, that we are either making or you know helping others to make or designing or whatever the case may be whatever role we're playing in in, in that respect i got you i got you so i mean you talk about long long tail and long-lived assets and when you mention infrastructure and i'm wondering because i'm looking and i'm saying somebody to raise a lot of equity equity a long-term asset right i i think the the first APO was around 45 or um, um, 52 or yes. what, 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 whatever the offer was. But we see we see those participants, you know, looking forward. It's 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 what, two years now. Um, you know, not that long, right? But but over time, we see value accruing to those early participants, right? Yes. And uh, in in the equity, we see value accruing now to long long time investors in a real estate fund mm -hmm. right is is that a theme in terms of uh you know these these arcs where for the long-term investor for sure staying with burrito and, sure. and, and, and journeying on a strategy yeah, for sure i mean for us staying the course is important yeah right we're big proponents of staying invested serial investing Right, being committed to a long-term investment mm -hmm. strategy. And of course, that strategy may tilt and pivot over time under advice. But we think the path to true wealth creation for the majority of, of us in this country right, is through a committed uh, and consistent investment plan. Mm -hmm. Of whatever size, it could be five thousand dollars a month mm -hmm. or ten thousand dollars a month. We saw what ten thousand dollars a month can do last night. Yeah, well, there yeah. you go in the initial instance, mm -hmm. right? But that's what I think is the path. So, I mean, not everyone has the capital to be able to buy a fantastic piece of land and mm -hmm. develop it into um, ten stories of apartments. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's one path to wealth. Mm -hmm. But how easily accessible is that to the common man? Or maybe we can buy into the Brighter Real Estate Fund, and well, then it can do it for you, right? Can do it for you so our job is to really create opportunities for the common man mm. to via his own way through his investment plan create 
are a consistent and sustained way to affect the future mm-hmm. for either himself or the generation after him or whatever the case is. And I believe if more of the population can be galvanized around this approach, right, can be brought in and drawn in uh, and have some affinity towards staying the course and serial investing, I believe the next generation will look very different um, than the one that we have today. Right, uh, just just playing that straight. So that's our mission, right? Curating these investment opportunities and making them accessible. The common man. I mean, we're the people's broker. This is a business that uh, Mrs. Humphreys Lewin built 45 years ago mm-hmm. um, this year mm-hmm. uh, to make investing accessible to the regular guy mm-hmm. and we have stuck with that so sure we're doing alternative investments and we've built out this investment bank and we have a wealth and corporate solutions division but we have a large part of our business that's still committed to meeting the common man where he lives and helping him to transform the lives of himself and those to whom he is committed right he or she are committed yeah. right so so that's that's what wakes me up in the morning mm-hmm. so i mean i told you about all the areas of responsibility mm-hmm. but that's what really drives me um to, to as if i don't day. text you before the crack uh, of dawn right, well it. yes that that is true <laughs> uh, right but but yeah man i mean that's that's what really pushes me because that's the mission that we have been on um and i believe we've really moved the needle but there's a lot more work to do mm-hmm. right? there are a lot of jamaicans that are not invested and uh, I, I want to find them and get them invested. I need to go out on the road. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. But I mean, so, so that's that's nice. But speaking about that, right? Speaking about that um, Jamaican stories, you know, we like to tell a little bit of Jamaican stories. And I mean, since we have you here, right, Roman, you, um, if we think about your story and where you've come right mm-hmm. you were you 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 weren't born like in a castle yeah. um with, yeah. <laughs> with like yeah. a path laid out to yeah. to success not for you was it, right not at all um so i started um in st thomas mm-hmm. well i was actually born in kingston and spent the first four years of my life in portmore really um, yes I, I remember some of it um <laughs> but the, the fun memories really started in St. Thomas. Um, I went to Portmore and Primary and Junior High School as it was at the time. Um, left there, went to Mart Bay High School, mm. um, which has produced a, a number of uh, you know very well recognized persons in society today. I'm very proud of yeah, like my, my primary and high school. So interestingly, mm-hmm. Hansa Parchment. Right. Olympian. He and I were in the same year at school. Dion Jackson Miller, um, famed journalist. She's also a Martin Bay High School alum. So there are a number of us around. All right. All right. And um, I left high school, um, went to St. George's College for a year, mm-hmm. uh, for sixth form. I was too young to go to university, so I had to do something to pass the time. And thankfully, George's accepted me. But I only stayed there for a year. I went to the University of Technology, Jamaica, where I fell in love with finance. Mm. Right? Um, I always knew I wanted to do business. Um, well, at least after I got to a certain point in high school, although I still ended up doing a lot of science uh, for whatever reason. Mm. I'm sure it has helped me here. Mm. And at University of Technology, I really um, 
had a fantastic experience learning across the board about finance, risk management, corporate finance, uh, securities trading, lending. It was a really comprehensive program. I left school feeling very prepared for the work world. Mm. And it really did give me a soft landing. Uh, so I thankfully got a job right in my field, start as an investment analyst uh, with the Jamaica National Group, um, moved to become an assistant PM, uh, portfolio manager, mm -hmm. um, where I was managing a prop portfolio of equities and fixed income um, in four different markets, structured notes. It was very interesting mm -hmm. stuff, I must tell you. Mm -hmm. And from there, became a portfolio manager, um, had broader responsibilities in the group, got to manage insurance company portfolios and that sort of thing. And then I moved over to the investment bank uh, within the group where I was chief investment strategist, head of research, mm -hmm. helped to build out the, the investment research function there and um, added some, some sophistication to, or additional sophistication to the operations there. So, I mean, a lot of what we have done at Barito over the last couple of years um, is not unfamiliar to me. I have done some version of that elsewhere before. And, you know, um, it, after about six or seven years, well, seven years, I left the Jamaica National Group to join Barita. Yeah, and here we are. Um, and here we are. It's it's been almost four years of um, very interesting stuff. I mean, I, I tell people that over the last four years, I have done um, or experienced or been a part of so many things for the first time. It's been an, an excellent learning experience. And as I mentioned, the mission that we're on is one that really resonates with me, mm -hmm. um, really affecting change um, in the lives of the average Jamaican and Caribbean person is, is something that really, as I said, gets me up pumped out of bed in the morning and, and puts me to bed feeling comfortable and good at night. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we're here to do a lot more um, in that respect over the coming years. Okay. So, that, 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 that's, a, that's an amazing arc, right? And a very Jamaican story. Yes, <laughs> right? I agree. Right? Kingston to Portmore to Morant Bay, right? Um, the, the question, like, if you could give some advice yes. to, you know, a, a fourth farmer, a third farmer mm -hmm. watching the show, right? Yes. A, a, again, a very Jamaican yeah. youngster, mm -hmm. right? Uh, first of all, there are there there are success stories. You're not destined to mediocrity or malaise or yes. just because yes. Jamaican. You don't have, you don't have to go overseas to try and give yourself a chance. Agreed. So you know you sitting here living and breathing that as a reality, right? Yeah. What would be your advice or you know what what inspired you? Yeah. Um, what really drove you to really? change your situation because by the way you were you weren't living it up in moran Bay. no 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 i don't uh, think my my no means um at all so so what i'd say is a couple of things that have worked um for me right and everybody's situation is different yeah. there is really no silver bullet yeah right and that's um, an important thing for people to understand yeah. right yeah i always tell people that there are many different paths to yes. success yes. so I don't take exceptions and make them the rule mm -hmm. at all, right? You know, you 
always hear an argument, for example. At school is a waste of time because look at the number of people who have dropped out of school mm -hmm. and have done very well for yeah. themselves. Yeah. Right? They are billionaires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a very small number of billionaires. Mm -hmm. And I suspect the vast majority of them, um, you know, have something that's that's not related to the fact that they didn't go to school yeah. that helped them yeah. along yeah. the way and you know set their path and so I, I don't make exceptions into rules but mm -hmm. a couple of things worked for me one in terms of motivation i really drew a lot of motivation from my mother mm -hmm. um who you know was was very prominent in shaping me into the person that i am mm -hmm. uh so you know that, that really helped me a lot um, some people may not have a similar kind of beacon but i did mm -hmm. um and but i mean it really led me uh, to where i am as one and two what was reinforced to me was the importance and value of education right so at different points in time during school i was never the sharpest person in the class or mm -hmm. top of the class mm -hmm. or whatever it is but was consistent and what i knew was that education was a bridge via which i could get from place to place right so you know I did well enough in GSAT, so I went to the school that I wanted to go to. And I did well enough in CXCs, so I was able to go do business, mm -hmm. even with the, the threes that I got, which you know, were, were not important ultimately. <laughs> and I did well enough in university, which was the ship that sailed me to the first job. Mm -hmm. right? I was able to do well enough in the interview. I retained enough, I read enough before the interview. Mm -hmm. And I have used my education to affect change in my life. It has been my currency of social and other mobility and it has allowed me to help others mm -hmm. um, who now in some instances depend on me mm -hmm. so you know one is finding your beacon whatever that is so it mm -hmm. might not be apparent it may be something else you have to find something that leads you yeah. forward yeah. and you have to recognize that your present situation is not what you're destined to right you can actually affect tangible change in your life mm -hmm. and two is to find what that bridge or carousel is going to be that's going to carry you to where you are. Education was mine. Um, I used that to move from strength to strength. Even as it related to my career, I decided to be very strategic and seek out the foremost respected um, areas of study in my field to try and you know pursue them and it worked out. So it helped to move me from place to place, I think, in terms of the learnings that I would have garnered and I guess whatever respect I would have garnered from having done those areas of study. Yeah. Uh, so that has been it for me. It could be something else for you, but the point is there is something. There yeah. is something that you can look to to motivate you and there are things that you can do to change your circumstances. Mm -hmm. The key is to stay focused on what is motivating you mm -hmm. and stay consistent with the, the things that you need to do to move the needle. So that's that's what I would say in a very general way and in a nutshell. Alright. Um, so I mean it sounds good. It sounds good and, and, and it is it it is very inspiring right and and yeah, thank you yeah man and um I'm, I'm glad that you could share uh you know we've we've said a lot is there anything else in terms of barita or capital markets or you have a closing mm. message yeah, man. yeah i do so again i mean and i've said it before now is the time guys when you have to rely on us yeah 
who are professionals in this space. Now, I'm encouraging everybody, it's your money, it's important. Mm -hmm. In the same way that if you go to a doctor and you get an unfortunate diagnosis, the next step is to get a second opinion. I encourage you to consume diverse views as it relates to what's going on in the current environment. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, as much as I think um, Barita has uh, some of the best and brightest in the space, mm -hmm. um, it's top quality in terms of what you can have yourself of I'm not telling you to exclusively rely on us mm. right you, mm. you can mm. but I think you should mm. consume diverse views mm. right so that's the first thing that I'd say right so rely on us but consume diverse views about what's going on the second thing I'd say is no is not a time to panic mm. right it may represent a time of opportunity mm. because you're not investing for today or tomorrow yeah. you're investing for the future yeah. and one thing that has been as sure as the sun rising in the morning is that economies go through cycles yeah. and every bust tends to be followed at, in, in, over varying periods of time. It could be a two-year span, a one-year span, mm -hmm. six months. I mean, we saw what happened in COVID. Yeah. Every bust tends to be followed by a boom. Yeah. And if you remain invested long enough, you will benefit from a boom or two or three, depending on when you're alive. Yeah. So, to reiterate, the best path to creating wealth is to be consistent and staying invested over periods of time. Um, and that has worked time and time again. So as I say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Don't right? fix it. So I encourage everyone to come into Berita Investments Limited. We have advisors that are just waiting um, to see if we can affect positive change in your life. That's our job. Right? So we're here for you and we're here to help to make your money work for you. Wonderful. So stay invested, keep investing, eh? Yeah. All right, Roman. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roman. It's All always right. a pleasure. Yeah, man. Thank you. Blessings. You've just listened to an episode of the Barita Podcast. The Barita Podcast is available on all Barita's social media platforms. If you'd like to invest with Barita Investments Limited, visit our website at barita.com or contact us at 876-926-2681 to get started.